Amen. It's great to see all of you here this morning at the Branch Church Milledgeville on this Lord's Day. I tell you, it is so wonderful to be here with you. These uh, weeks get longer and longer as we approach the greatest time of the year, I think, in uh, spring and summer. Any, anybody else like that? I don't know. We've been here for a little bit of a year now, and um, I tell you, the summers in Milledgeville are quite a bit different than uh, a lot of places I've been. So it may be weird for me to say that, but uh, it is an enjoyable time to be outside and enjoy our Lord's creation and celebrate his creation and enjoy the things we get to do during these months. This morning, Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13, as we approach the close of the book of Hebrews, it's been a while, by God's grace. The sermon title this morning, Living for His Glory, Living for His Glory. In Hebrews 13, verses 1 through 6 that we will study this morning, I think the main point that we will see is this, Christians followers of Christ, are called to live a life which honors Christ and brings glory to God. Followers of Christ are called to live a life which honors Christ and brings glory to God. We just sang a song, Tis So Sweet, this morning. That closing chorus Oh, for grace to trust him, I'm so glad I learned to trust thee. Precious, precious Jesus, Savior, friend, and I know that thou art with me, will be with me to the end. As we approach the end of the sermon this morning, we will talk about that statement again. But I'll ask you ahead of time, do you believe that Jesus is with you to the end? Do you believe that he's with you now on this Lord's Day morning as you sit here in this local church to worship him? Do you believe that he will be with you Monday through Saturday and every week thereon to the end? Do you believe that? This morning as we approach this last chapter of the Epistle of Hebrews, we finally see some focus. I don't know, we as pastors kind of have, have talked amongst, amongst one another and joked at times about how the road has seemed a bit winding throughout the first 12 chapters of Hebrews. Here in Hebrews 13, we, we get some focus. Focus on practical things that we as followers of Christ should do. That the world should see us doing on a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly occurrence. Focus on some essential and practical ethics which should be present in our lives as followers of Christ. These ethics work to reveal and portray the true gospel. See, there's a hole right now in the world, in our society in particular. There is a gospel being presented on this day in many places across this country. But not many places, I would wager, are proclaiming the true gospel. In practicing these ethics, we will see here in beginning 
chapter 13 this morning. It encourages others to believe and trust in Christ. When we do things in such a way, when we live in such a way, when we portray the true Christ and honor Christ in such a way, it absolutely will lead others to see Christ and by his grace come to know him and also to ultimately bring glory to God. Remember, this epistle was written to a body of Jewish believers who were tempted to revert back to Judaism from Christianity. Why? Because they were enduring persecution. So in order to escape their persecution, their thought was, we will revert back to Judaism. We will try to practice holiness in our efforts and what we can accomplish and what we can do instead of simply trusting on Christ. There's a great refrain which we've seen in this book of Hebrews, a warning against apostasy, against falling away from the faith, and an exhortation, an exhortation to hold fast to Christ for salvation and Christ alone. Five times we've seen this warning given through the first 12 chapters, including chapter 12, verse 25, where we read this. See, that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. This morning, before we transition to the first of two points that we'll cover this morning, Hebrews 13, verses 1 through 6. I'm going to read Romans chapter 11, verses 33 through 36. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, as we approach Hebrews chapter 13 this morning, I pray, Holy Spirit, that whatever it is that it is desired that we learn, that we see, I pray you teach us, you instruct us. I pray, pierce our minds, pierce our hearts, that we may live anew, that we may pursue you, Jesus, all the more, more and more and more, that it be to your praise, to your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This morning, a loving community, in verses 1 through 3, in Hebrews 13, a loving community. When Jesus readied to leave his disciples that night in that garden, he gave them a very precise command to aid them in the challenging days that would be. In John 15, verse 12, this is my commandment, he said, that you love one another as I have loved you. That's a simple command, isn't it? Seems basic. But it must be, and it is, a foundational command 
in our Christian living, in our Christian being, in our community as believers of Christ. Hebrews 13 begins with the first Christian ethic that must be evident in our lives, Christian love. Not just love, not just any love, but Christian love. Hebrews 13, verses one through three. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember, those who are in prison, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Love for fellow believers. Brotherly love. Jesus in John chapter 13, verse 35 said, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. How can we love one another? How is it made possible? Turn with me to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. I'll read verses 7 through 11 and then verse 19. 1 John 4 beginning in verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And then verse 19, we love, why? Because he first loved us. Christian love includes speaking the truth concerning Jesus. See, the gospel is not the gospel if it be not the gospel of Jesus Christ if it be not the truth concerning the person of Christ. We know the love of God, true love, and can express that love because Jesus stood in our place to appease the wrath of God. He is our propitiation. He stood in our place. He took on the wrath of God that is due every single one of us. He took it. That is love. That is true love. If you claim to be in Christ, yet you do not love others who are in Christ, 1 John 4, verses 20 and 21. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. In this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must, must also love his brother. So only through a relationship with Jesus can we know true love. For years, I was married to Jennifer. I swore I knew what love was, but I didn't because I didn't know Christ. I simply didn't. And it wasn't until years later when God truly saved me, that one, I wept over the years that I wasted loving my bride as I should, but that I truly could look upon her 
and see her and love her as God designed that I should. Listen, the world doesn't know love. The unbelieving world does not know love, true love. We, the church, his bride, we know true love. And thereby we must, we must first of all show love to one another. Listen, is it easy to love one another? The Branch Church Milledgeville is a wonderful body, a wonderful body of believers. But is it easy to love one another all the time? You can be honest. No, it's not. It's not. But, but our goal, our objective the course that we trek as a body must be centered around this love for one another. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We see Paul writing concerning love. In chapter 4, verse 9. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. So how much, how often are we to show love to our brothers and sisters in Christ? 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 10, For that indeed is, that is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia, but we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. So how much? More and more. We could never outdo one another in loving one another. How much are we to love one another? More and more. How often? Always. Always. Why does this brotherly love matter? What matter is it? In this sense, in the context of what we see in Hebrews 13 this morning, so that in our love for one another, we will provide for one another's needs, and in so doing, have no need to receive anything from the world, from anyone else, but rather to simply love others by giving to others as they have need. Consider and recall the church in Acts. What do we read? that daily they were caring for one another's needs. No one had anything in need. And what occurred? That as they showed love for one another, they showed and expressed that Christian love outside of the circle of their church. And what did God do? Daily, daily, he was saving that person, this person, that person, because that church in Acts loved one another properly and rightly. Back to Hebrews 13. In Hebrews 13, verses 2 and 3, we see the commands and how Christian love can and should be shown. In each verse, we see two key verb uses. First, in verse 2, a negative, and verse 3, a positive. In verse 2, do not neglect. Do not neglect to do what? To show hospitality. Paul in Romans 12, 
when he is detailing the marks of a true Christian, I encourage you to read Romans 12 verses, read verse 13 first, and then read verses 12 and 14, because it reflects the context in which we find the Hebrews here in Hebrews 13, persecution. Once again, these Hebrews were being commanded to love and show this Christian love while under great persecution and struggle, yet commanded to show love, in this sense to show hospitality to whom? To strangers. Hospitality in the ancient world at many times included providing a guest overnight accommodations or possibly even longer, even harder to do while under persecution. Why? The guest could be a spy could be someone sent to find that Christian family who is going to take them in and accommodate them and show them Christian love. Or it could be a fellow believer who is being pursued. In either case, a risk for these Hebrews at this time. They were in an extreme situation, but, but still were expected to be obedient to the commands of God. This is the expectation as a follower of Jesus Christ. Jesus himself says what? what? You will follow my commands if what? If you love me. And you will show that you love me by following my commands. The expectation is obedience. It's not thinking about it. It's not meaning to do it. It's doing it. It's being obedient to the commands of Jesus Christ, of our Lord and Savior, the one to whom we are in bondage as his follower, his bondservant, to be used by his grace for his glory, for his renown, for his honor in all that we do in this world. Strangers here for them is teaching them that those fellow believers who are fleeing their city, their land, their house because of the persecution Listen, you, you may not know them, but you know the Christ in whom they trust. Jennifer and I, when we were working with the church plant in Alpharetta, one weekend were asked to uh, provide our house. We were in Florida at the time. We were asked to provide our house for a family to come and stay. We didn't know them. Had never met them. All we knew was it was a husband and wife and far too many kids in our house, our three-bedroom, two-and-a-half-bath house. So what do we do? We do what we must. We say yes. We say yes, but we worry, not all the time, but a lot of the time on that vacation trip while we were away. And did we rush home to make sure everything was in place and all that? Yes. But the call is to simply obey. Simply obey. When we see angels unawares in this verse, this is in reference to Abraham and Sarah in Genesis 18, to Lot in Genesis Genesis 19, as well as a couple other places in the Old Testament. Listen, this is not stated here to be the ultimate reason for being obedient and showing hospitality. What it does teach us, you never know how far-reaching your act of hospitality will be. You never know. 
in Matthew 25. Matthew chapter 25. Jesus, speaking concerning the final judgment, to the believer he says, in Matthew 25, verses 35 through 40, For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it for one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. You never know. You simply do not know how far reaching your kind, Christian loving service to one will reach. In verse 3, we see the positive verb, remember. Remember. Remember who? Those who are in prison, those who are persecuted at a very high level, tortured for Christ. It is not the will of God at this time that all churches suffer in the same manner. We see this. Grace Life Church in Alberta, Canada has seen their pastor imprisoned and freed, and last week became the first underground church in modern-day North America. Think about that. The first underground church in modern-day North America. They didn't stop. They didn't stop seeking to gather as a body to worship their Lord and Savior. They pursued him with everything that was in them, pursued the Lord and Savior. We should know this. We here in this country, at this time, we should know what is going on to our other brothers and sisters across the world. We should know what they are enduring. China, Iran, South Asia, North Korea, and on and on and on. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 26 says, Those in Christ are comprised in one body consisting of many members. He goes on to say, If one suffers, all suffer together. We should be so intently, finely tuned to what is going on in the church of Christ across this globe that we feel. We feel their pain, their struggle. We hear their cries for prayer. And we pray. We approach the throne of God and pray and beseech the grace of God, the love of God for his, for his children. And if God provides the opportunity, we go. We go. Have you ever considered to go? Have you ever given thought to go? To go to a place where the normal human mind would say, never go. 
don't set foot there. You could be imprisoned, or worse, you could be killed. Guess what? As a follower of Jesus Christ, that's not worse. That's best. I urge you, consider to go. So we are to show brotherly love by showing hospitality to strangers, remembering those who are in prison. Next, in verses four through six, we see a holy community. A holy community. We are commanded, be holy as he is holy. When you engage with your peers, do they see a difference in your life? Do they see a set-apartness? Do they see that you answer to not a lower judge, an earthly judge, but the highest judge there is? Do they see that your life, that your life is desirous of one that cannot be seen on this earth right now? does your life reflect a life in Christ? Do we, as a church, does the city of Milledgeville see the Branch Church Milledgeville and think they're different? They're not like us. They're different from most other churches in this city. What is it about them Does this city know this about us? Do they know the Christ that we know? In verse 4, let marriage be held in honor among all. Among all. Genesis chapter 2. In Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse 23, we see God's ordained call to marriage, what marriage is to be. Genesis 2, verse 23, then the man said, this is at, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And then verse 24, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. In that decree given by God, it gives us the foundation of marriage. Marriage is a relationship which God highly honors. God instituted marriage. God defined marriage. One man, one woman. Yes, in the Old Testament, We do see marriages used to fulfill the command to what? Go forth and multiply. The command given in Genesis 9, 7. There were those in the early church who considered celibacy to be higher than marriage. Paul 
And 1 Timothy 4.3 strongly denounces such an idea. Further, let marriage be, let the marriage bed be undefiled. It is not only honorable for one man and one woman to be married under the authority of Jesus Christ. It is also honorable to keep the marriage bed undefiled. This does not escape everyone in this room. Yes, this speaks primarily to married couples, but this also speaks to singles. God has decreed that sexual relations are to occur only under the marriage relationship, period. There's no other avenue. There's no out. Only between husband and wife. Singles, do not defile your marriage, marriage bed before you are married. Couples, married couples, do not defile your marriage bed as husband and wife. Praise be to God, as a child of God, we have the opportunity for repentance, true repentance. But with all vigor, with all that is in you, keep your marriage bed pure. The church of Jesus Christ needs strong men and women who hold fast and hold tight to the marriage covenant given to them by God. The church has been extremely weakened by failed marriages. Men, let me speak to you. Men, as it was in the very beginning with Adam and Eve, it is with us. Lead your wives well. Love your wives well. Single men, walk faithfully in Christ. Become the man that your wife one day can admire because of your love for Christ, above your love for her. Social media, pornography, if you can't handle your Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, whatever it is, cancel it. Get rid of it. Oh, but it's an avenue to share the gospel. I don't care. If you're too weak to steer clear of defiling your marriage bed because of social media, get rid of it. And do what we should do anyway. Share the gospel by speaking to a person in your classroom, at your workplace, in your home, on the street. Proverbs chapter 5. I encourage you to read Proverbs on a daily basis. God set it up perfectly so you can read a proverb a day, each month. Go read Proverbs chapter 5 at some point. Today, this week, Proverbs chapter 5 gives an entire chapter dedicated as a warning against adultery. And Hebrews 13.4 continued, For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. There must be a charge against and thereby just judgment for the ones who defile the marriage bed. 
Any sexual activity outside of marriage will bring the judgment of the holy God, period. God will justly reveal this sin in, the, in this present age by their own conscience and set before them and possibly others a humiliation that arises. It's hard to see that that could occur in this day and age in which we live in the year 2021, but God can absolutely work and move in a way that your defilement of that marriage bed is discovered and there is humiliation. Or God will stay his judgment until that last day and God will condemn the unrepentant one, cast them out to live in his presence, his absolute presence, his wrath for eternity. In verses five and six, Transitioning from Christian love, we transition to Christian contentment. Christian contentment. Are you content in your life? Are you content with who God has made you to be? Where he has placed you? What he has given you to do? What he's given you to drive? Who he's given you to be with? Are you content? In verse 5, we see, keep your life free from love of money. The sin is told by Paul in 1 Timothy 6, verse 10, that is a root of all kinds of evil. The sin of covetousness must be killed within us. As Matthew Henry puts it, it has no place in our conversation. For if we give it a place in our conversation, what does it become? It goes from a thought to speech to act. The desire goes from the mind to the mouth to the heart to fulfilling that sinful desire. In 1 Timothy 6, verses 6 through 10, Paul is teaching Timothy concerning false teachers. I firmly believe that false teachers we see in our country and across the world today, it lands here covetousness they covet money they covet numbers they covet a big fancy building they covet people to fall at their feet to serve and worship them why because there's power in that there's self-pride in that it makes that person feel good about themselves. Paul warning Timothy, be content with your here and your now. Unless you're here and you're now, be sin, then repent, and then be content in your here and now. Too much future focus can lead to covetous thoughts, which lead to covetous acts that destroy your present. Is it okay to dream? Is it okay to plan? Is it okay to have goals for your future? Absolutely. Absolutely. And you should. You absolutely should. Everyone in this room should 
Have a dream about what life could be. Have a thought about what I desire to accomplish in the future. Have a desire to, to see one another be who we need to be and must be and should be in Christ. Those of us with, those of us with children have a desire to see that child first be saved by God's grace. And then second, live a life that honors Christ and brings glory to God. So yes, it's okay to dream, to think about the future, to think about what could be. But we live here. We live now. You're sitting here in those chairs this morning, right now. Too much thought, too much dwelling on your future, too much dwelling about what, gosh, I, I wish I could have that. I want that so bad. You miss what is right in front of you in the here and the now. You miss the opportunities to be content, to be content in who you are, where you are, what you are doing, who you are with, what God has given you, that is what he desires you have. That job, that house, that car, that money, that degree, that not degree, that wife, that husband. God has given you what he desires that you have right now. Give glory to God. Bring glory to God and honor Christ with what you have now, with who you are now as you grow to love Christ all the more. It is all due his grace and his provision. As the follower of Jesus Christ, you have the greatest source of contentment you could ever have. Ever have. Why seek contentment? Why seek joy elsewhere? He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Look at that in verse 5. I will never leave you nor forsake you. That double negative there. It's, it's as if Christ is saying, I will never, no never, not at any time, not at any place, leave you. That at all times, in all places, in every way, I am with you if you are mine. It reminds me of Matthew 28, 20. When Christ gives his command that we are to follow and make disciples of all peoples, how can we do that? He tells us in verse 20 of Matthew 28, And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Here in Hebrews 13, this promise, I will never leave you nor forsake you, we see given to Joshua in Joshua 1.5, but praise be to God, Old Testament promises can be applied to New Testament believers. And praise be to God that you 
attend a local church that believes in the full authority of the complete word of God above all other authorities. This promise, this promise, I will never leave you nor forsake you, this promise sums up and is the substance of all the promises, period. It is the fulfillment, the completeness of all other promises that Christ, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is with you. If you are his. And verse 6, confidently. We see that word confidently. If your confidence be found in Christ above all. Listen, can you have confidence in other things and other people? Certainly you can. Certainly you can. I have complete confidence that this is the year that the Dallas Cowboys will win a Super Bowl. And that Alabama will once again win the national title in football. That's as much of a guarantee as just about anything in this earthly present age. You can have confidence in many different things. Many different things. I have confidence that Landon will be taller than me, as he already is, and his brother. I have confidence that that grandson back there Will, will just be the greatest grandson in the history of all grandsons. I have confidence that the Branch Church Milledgeville can be a source of joy, of hope, of the true gospel of Jesus Christ in this city that all may know. But, but, all of those confidences cannot rise above the confidence that I have in Christ. If your confidence be found in job, house, earthly person, money, apart from the person of Christ, you cannot have this confidence spoken of here in Hebrews 13. Listen, I cannot assume that if you're here this morning, you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. It is Jesus and Jesus alone that was sent by the Father to this earth to live the perfect life that none of you could ever live on your own. There is no perfection in your life. You can ace that test. You can do something perfect, but you will never be perfect in full the Father sent the Son to live that perfect life for you. Why? For what purpose? To die. To die. To sacrifice himself. To spill the blood, the only blood, the precious, perfect blood that could blot out all your sin. If, if, if you surrender to him as Lord and Savior. But if you can confidently say, my confidence is found in Christ above all else, then, then, you may confidently say and with absolute boldness proclaim, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? What can man do to me?
I pray that each of us here this morning, that we would live with such a boldness, that we would live with, with eyes that see eternity, that we would finally look at everything in this life, everything in this world, everything in our city, with eyes that focus on eternity, with a life that is eternally bound to live with Christ forever in His presence, in His joy, in His fullness, that we would be a people who can say, what can man do to me? Because I know Christ. He knows me. He is with me now and always and everywhere and, and, and in every way. He will never leave me. He will never forsake me. May I boldly live a life that brings honor to him and brings glory to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you for life, life, new life, born again life. A regeneration unto the faith to believe unto Jesus as Lord and Savior. Jesus, thank you. Thank you. The propitiation for our sins, the life for our life. Lord, I pray. I pray. Oh, how I pray that we, that we, the Branch Church Milledgeville, would be a people, would be a people who would love you more and more and who would love one another more and more and who would seek to share your love, Christian love, because of Christian contentment in you with others who so desperately need to know you. Jesus, to your praise, for your glory, amen.